Cofield and Company, live on the road. All right, here we go. Game night coming up a little earlier tonight than normal. UNLV is on the road. Cofield on the road. Dallas is the site. UNLV taking on an interesting opponent in SMU. About a six-point dog in this one, but a very winnable game for the running Rebels. We'll get into a little of the basketball before we uh, cut out around uh, 4.30 as we set up John and Curtis. We are courtside at the Moody Coliseum. Willie Ramirez is in as a company. How you doing, buddy? What's happening, Steve? Travel uh, okay? Lot. Yeah, hold on. We got, a, we got a basketball game on the way, so that's cool. Excited to see if the uh, Rebels can win this one. I think uh, SMU is very beatable based on the schedule, but it is the first true road spot outside of a, a secret scrimmage, but that's not the same. They're expecting a uh, small but voracious crowd here. The building only holds about 7,000, so if you get three or 4,000 in here, it's kind of old school gym built in uh, 1956, so I'm sure it'll get loud in here. The important question is, did you find barbecue? I did not, no. Uh, the entire Learfield crew bailed. Uh, to Parts Unknown, I found out where the Parts Unknown were. Maybe they'll tell stories about that down the road. Those are stories of legend. No, um, so I went local to whatever I could find around the hotel. I did get a nice burger, a nice burger. I did pass on the shake, as fattening as the burger was. With chili and a hot dog on top, I decided not to get the shake. I'm regretting that because I think I would have felt good having the shake later. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, you, you be, you, you've been to Texas before, obviously. But I did, have been, yes, so did you? Times. So d- when you go there, is it a must? Do you, get, do, you, do you now Do you have to get a Whataburger? I did not. And uh, our buddy Nick, who actually helped set up the remote on this end, I was talking to him about an hour ago, and he's like, Whataburger? So much hype. Did not deliver. I don't the know. The times I've had it, I thought it was just okay. I'm not so in this a rush. Whole, this whole in and out Whataburger thing, I, I don't get it. I'm not in a rush to try one. Yeah. You've got to try it. Got to yeah, try it so, once. No, no, I'm sure I will. But like I'm like it's not like it's not like one of those things where like man, I, like for instance, like when you go to Portland, right? If you ever go to Portland, it's like you got to go to Voodoo Donuts. Like if I go to that, Texas, yeah. like it's not in my head. Like oh, gotta go to Whataburger. Like it's not on my agenda. Yeah, that's not my first thought. My first thought is Tex-Mex or just beef. Yeah, yeah. So I got some beef last night. That worked out. All right, let's do it. What's trending? It's trending at three. Presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at eight seven 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 hundred Nova. Man, maybe I am a cold-hearted son of a bitch, but. Uh, well, not maybe, but I'm starting to I'm starting to look at this Brian Kelly situation, and I'm sure that what most people have said about him that he can be a jerk. That is true, but this whole college coach leaving thing, and I understand. Believe me, I understand because I've been one of the one of the people yelling at coaches and former coaches, especially former coaches. We get into this fight all the time with uh, Joe Esposito about Joe ripping on the transfer portal. So I've seen a lot come out of the Kelly departure. And the Lincoln Rally departure and, and say, well, I don't ever want to hear anything about the kids leaving and their lack of loyalty. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so that this is the eight millionth example of a coach bailing right. and you know, leaving the kids to hold the bag or leaving recruits burned. But it is reality and yeah, okay, so let's set the standard out. Don't piss and moan when coaches leave and don't do it right. when players leave. There is no loyalty. We're all good on that. But the stuff coming out about Kelly 
And by the way, he should have known this. I don't know if he has to pull like the Dave Chappelle and go, everyone come over here. Uh, before I give this speech to you guys at Notre Dame and say goodbye, we're going to get a bag, and you're all putting your cell phones in a bag, and you're not going to record me. Well, someone did record him. And you know what? He, he comes off as kind of callous. I'm not sure that he doesn't come off as kind of callous all the time. What do we – is there a way to say goodbye to a job, and especially a job where you oversee hundreds of people, Willie? I, it, here's, here's, here's the way I would look at it. If you have to ask yourself that question, then were you ever really a genuine person in that role? Because if you don't, if you just know how to do it, if, if, if you naturally, if you come in with a good heart, if you've always been genuine and upfront, if they understand who you are, where you're coming from, 100% of the time, you never really have to ask, your, ask the question, how do I do this? Because they're always yeah. going to know that what you're, the way that you're coming across, the way that you're saying goodbye is genuine. If you have to ask yourself, well, how do I do this? Then I, then I think that, there's, then, then you're wondering which approach you need to take to be genuine so they buy it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I also wonder if you have been a solid citizen with your players, with your coaching staff, with the other people in the program. Uh, if you've been that way, then maybe there wouldn't be a whole lot of anger. So right. I, I sort of expect it with Brian Kelly because we've heard things about Brian Kelly in the past. Um, I don't know that I've heard people bad-mouthing Lincoln Riley as much. I mean, the dorky Oklahoma fans, yes, uh, they have. But, you know, fans are going to be away. Fans are going to feel burned in, in most of these situations. But I don't know that there's a right way to walk away from a job. And the more I've thought about it, and we're, we'll get Caleb Herring, who's a real stand-up dude, uh, much more quality human being than I am. Uh, you're a good guy too, Willie. Um, but we'll get his take on what coaches should do. Um, you know, with the program they're leaving, I'll, I'll tell you this, for the next stop, I would absolutely demand, like what LSU did here in getting Brian Kelly before Notre Dame's fate is decided with the CFP in a bowl game, I would absolutely require it if I'm the next employer. Yeah, you're coming here now. So, like, whoever – I think the real interesting one is going to be with Luke Fickle. If Fickle is the guy for Notre Dame, as much as it will suck for Luke Fickle to tell Cincy, you know what – I am not coaching you in the CFP, and by the way, I don't think he'll do this. But if I'm Notre Dame, I'm not taking Luke Fickle and waiting a month. That ain't going to happen. Which, again, that is, that's callous. It sounds kind of mean, but too bad. If I'm hiring you for freaking eight, nine million dollars a year, then you're coming now. I'm not waiting a month. I want to go back to one thing that you said before when you were talking about Lincoln Riley. You said, well, the kind of the quirky, dorky Oklahoma fans. And you said, well, uh, I'm probably going to catch a lot of heat for this, but you know what? When it comes to something like this and you're talking about, like, you know, your departure, the fans are irrelevant. The fans don't matter, and the, and, and yeah. they should. I mean, the fans, you know, you want a good fan base, and you're playing for your fans, you're playing for your student body, you're playing for your school, you're playing for pride, but you know what? There are more fair-weathered fans than there are loyal ones, and, 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 and they'll turn on you in a heartbeat. So as far they as the did. Coach, yeah, they did. I mean, what I'm saying. Spencer so, so, Rattler was a loved figure, the Heisman favorite. Yep. He's three, four games into the season. They're booing him. They're calling for the backup to be out there. And you know, it's funny tonight uh, at Oklahoma, they're playing Florida basketball. Right, Oklahoma basketball is playing Florida. Do you think the same fans who are all pissed off at Lincoln Riley gave a rat's ass 
about the UNLV fan base when Lon Kruger walked on UNLV to take the Oklahoma job? You think? No. Any of them? No. Well, then tough luck, right? It sucks. Harden yourself. Be cynical. This is the world we live just in. Think about, Opportunities just... come up for people. They change jobs. There's an arms race. You know, if you want to be obnoxious and go steal other players uh, from other programs, you know, in the transfer portal, you want to boo Spencer Rattler. If you want to be all hard-edged, then guess what? When it's done to you, you can't freaking cry in your beer, buddy. Yeah, we we see it on the local front. We've seen it this year. We saw it at the end of last season. We saw it during the offseason at the Golden Knights. This was the most adored team that we have seen in this town since the UNLV running Rebels of the glory days. And now all of a sudden, half the the fan base, well, I'm never going to go back because you traded Marc-Andre Fleury. And then they lose for the first five games, and they're moaning and complaining. And they're, you know, oh, and then Leonard has a bad game. Told you you shouldn't have traded Marc-Andre. Shut up. Good Willie. I don't know if Willie was like this or the show was making him like this, but either way, I like it. Uh, Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to talk to one of the guys on the call for the Pac-12 title game. If you don't know, that is in town. It is at Allegiant. It is Utah going against Oregon. Rod Gilmore will join us, but we'll get you ready for the VGK game tonight just down the road in Anaheim and also give you the latest news on the Raiders is uh, maybe there are real issues here at Long Snappers. They have made a signing. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Hard going to have to run it out to the right. He's in trouble. He's going to take off. He may have the first down. He does. And still going. 40 and out of bounds at around the 45-yard line. It was Derek Carr who kept it, saw the alley open up, and made his biggest run of the season. Now, back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Brent's on the call as we get ready for Raiders and football team. So ridiculous, still absurd. On Sunday, we'll see if uh, any WFT fans are going to be traveling. I'm not sure Charger fans will travel for the finale. They probably should because that may be a game that has a playoff spot on the line. Right now we're going to qualify you for a chance to win some tickets to the final game this year at the Owl Raiders and Chargers. Uh, right now when you call in, call our 6 and 7. We'll qualify two more people. This is all brought to you by Silver 7s. You're going to win $50 Amazon gift cards. If you are one of the qualifiers and you are in to win the grand prize, which is another 200 bucks in gift cards and a pair of tickets to go check out the Raiders and the Chargers at Allegiant. 364-1100-364-1100. One important note, and Ari will tell you, if you qualify, you got to be at Silver 7s tomorrow at the half of the Thursday night football game. Willie and I will be out there. Willie may cut it a little bit early, but I'll be out there until halftime of the Dallas-New Orleans game. We'll give away that prize, so your chance to to win it, but you got to get in it. Call right now, 364-1100 is the number. Are you okay? It seems like you okay. were very distracted. You, you, now you just, I'm looking at our little video system here. Um, you changed into something. I heard you had issues with uh, a lost coffee and also a scratchy shirt. There's nothing worse than a scratchy shirt. So I had, I actually had one of our perfect shirts on. Our well, this long is not sli- a good endorsement for the perfect shirts. If no, you, no, if it was scratchy. no, it's a, no, it's a uh, slim fit long sleeve oh boy and so Slim realistically you, you wear it into the you know you wear it for the gym or you're wearing it outdoor you know just it's been on all day under 
our dog mentality apparel sweatsuit. So I have been double loaded and then driving from the Raiders facility. It warmed up a little bit. So it was just, you know, it was just heating up a little bit. You you got the slim fit with the nice tight sleeves on the arms and the hairs being pressed in. So it's, it's, you know, it was just, I just wanted to get out of that and just wear the hoodie. It's a little warm in the studio. I'm going to tell you what I'm a little more distraught about. And yes, I went and found the coffee. Here's what I'm just trying with our little video system. There we go. Now what? The video quality, like you look crystal clear. You look in HD. I, I looked as I look as if I'm like fading and I look ill. So I'm not too fond of how I look into this video. I almost I, I'm not sure what to make of it. But there's Mike Ramala. A lost Mike Ramala. He doesn't know where the hell he is. Right well, now. he's looking for something good to eat, like you know, a plain piece of bread. Yes, <laughs> that's a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> All right. So what's on tap tonight? We got. The Anaheim Ducks against VGK. Uh, Anaheim has had a very surprising year. Uh, VGK has had a, a solid year considering all the injuries. And then I look up, I'm like, oh, this will be a tough game. Maybe I'll get a little value on the road. Let me bet the VGK. And I'm like, wait, what? How big a favorite are they? I thought the Ducks were for real. What's going on here? Yeah, I don't I, – I, that's – that line is surprising to me because in years past, whenever Anaheim has visited, when we're sitting on press row, we're always sort of feeling sorry for John Gibson. We always say, well, man, you know, he's the best player on this team because they got a great goalie, and he's he usually plays the Golden Knights tough. And because of how well um, Anaheim's played. Now, that being said, they have lost four of their last six. Right. Um, they've let 14 goals in in their last four games. Um, even in a 5-4 win. So the Anaheim's also playing on the second of back-to-back nights, albeit that was in L.A. last night. But still, you're playing your second game in two nights. So um, Vegas playing off a little bit of rest, Um, probably going to be coming in a little angry. Right, coming off of a loss um, to Edmonton, this is uh, and that Edmonton game was somewhat of a sandwich game because they had played two on the road. So I'm a little surprised by the price as well. I, I um, especially with the goaltender. If I were going to play this game, you know what I would play, Steve? Is I would I would see what the price was on Anaheim on the puck line. Anaheim plus one and a half because it could be a close game that might even go into overtime. We do not have an update. Uh, latest I'm seeing on Ryan Getzlaff. Nothing yet, and the uh, always very secretive NHL with the lower body injury. By the way, on that note, I know we've done this rant a million times. How do you actually bet hockey? What do you mean? With with this foolishness with the injuries. Well, you first of all, you you tend to go into it looking at the goaltending, right? And, and you and you t- and you have to look at, you know, you have to look at. I, I personally. You have to really be confident in the offense that you're betting on to play the puck line because you can get tripped up on it. Um, it can be a sucker bet. I'll tell you, I've never really bought into the um, anything outside of just betting the game until we were doing our late-night podcast with our boy Dave Koken, and I really started looking into the first period totals. Yeah. And you could really see the value in it because it's usually over half a goal. So you so you're just looking for one, or you can get the one and a half if you get the high scoring. But um, I think you have to first and foremost you're going to handicap the goalies. You're going to see, and like for instance tonight, Anaheim's going to want to play tough. They they played in L.A., so it's not that big of a deal. These are these are professional hockey players. They can go night to night. It's not a big travel. Um, it's a rival. Anaheim's in third place. Vegas is in fifth. Right. Golden Knights have shown some vulnerability. 
Um, they're on the road. So on this one, plus the one and a half might be of value depending on where that number's at. Uh, but for the most part, you're going to handicap the goaltenders first. And then you're going to look at you know your score, who you're dealing with in terms of your scoring against whomever. I mean, a lot of a lot of sharps will play two team hockey parlays, even though parlay is somewhat of a taboo word. Um, and they'll put two heavier favorites together because they feel that in hockey it's it's better worth it to lay like 150, 160 with a couple of favorites and not risk the puck line. Injury updates in the NFL. Taysom Hill looks like he's going to be the guy for the Saints as uh, he's been battling. Plantar fasciitis, that's, the again, the Thursday oh, night painful. game. Four-and-a-half-point spread, so the Saints will have a hill back. I'm not sure how much of a difference that makes, but at least you know who the starting quarterback is. So as we were comparing the NFL versus the NHL, we're finding out info. We're waiting on Alvin Kamara to see what the deal is with Kamara. Now, on the Raiders, a couple of days before we uh, have to know officially on Friday, what's the latest injury update? Uh, so Nick Kwiatkowski, uh, Koski and Keyshawn Nixon, they were back at practice. They had missed some uh, time due to some ankle injuries. Trayvon Mullen was still out. Darren Waller um, was at practice, uh, was not at practice, and where he's still on quote unquote week to week. They've somewhat uh, become a little NL- NHL-ish with Darren Waller. We're not sure what's going on with him. Carl Nassib. Knee injury. He didn't practice today. He got hurt against the Cowboys. Uh, Rich Basaccia was in the press conference or, you know, had his media availability today. He said that if Nassib can't go, we may see Malcolm Kuntz. He could make his Raiders debut. Um, special teams uh, player Patrick Onwasser, hamstring. He did not practice. And Deshaun Jackson, who we saw the offense open up a little bit with him, he was limited. The Raiders did uh, sign free agent Carson Tinker, long snapper, with, of course, their long snapper in COVID protocol. There you go. Willie with the Raiders update. We'll come back. We'll get you ready for the Pac-12 title game. we got Utah and Oregon in town for a Friday game. Rod Gilmore is on the call, longtime voice of the Pac-12. Stanford and Cal guy. Yes, that's possible. He's a Cal law guy and a Stanford undergrad. Rod is up in less than five. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. Now, back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Can't mistake that voice. Ed Orgeron on Lincoln Riley at USC. Ari with a good job on grabbing all the key sound today with Cofield and Company. I'm in Dallas. Willie's in Vegas. I think Rod Gilmore is in Vegas. He's got a big assignment coming up. Rod gives us a couple minutes on the Pac-12 title game. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you guys doing? And by the way, Coach O, he's not wrong. No, not at all. Yeah, what do you think of his assessment of uh, how you win at USC? Well, look, you know, um, Southern California in particular, but California in general in the Pac-12 footprint, have been bleeding elite talent to the other conferences the last few years. Um, so keeping that talent at home is, is job one. And USC hasn't been able to do it uh, lately. I mean, if you looked at the Heisman quarterbacks, you know, uh, candidates the last, you know, year or two, uh, those guys were from the Pac-12 footprint. You know, a lot of those guys are from Southern California. Um, we see so many guys starring at Alabama, Ohio State, you know, Clemson. Um, those guys have to stay in the Pac-12 footprint, and USC is the key to keeping a lot of them home. From a recruiting standpoint, maybe this is a really stupid idea, and you can correct me on this. 
The first couple of years there, does he get so intense about putting the fence around Southern California that maybe he doesn't recruit as much nationally, try to you know, set the tone early that, hey, we may even take some guys who may not be the top-rated guys, but I want to establish I want Southern California guys. Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think he's going to have to use the transfer portal um, right away. I don't think he can focus all his efforts on high school recruiting and expect um, to have the time uh, to get guys and develop them in over you know, a two- or three-year, four-year period to get there. I think the expectations are way too high. USC needs help right away up front on their defensive line and their offensive line. And if they can find guys that will make the move, that they can plug in and play, I think he'll go out and do that. Um, but uh, I think the focus will be more so – on uh, California uh, and the West in recruiting, and not so much nationally. If there's an elite player somewhere, a quarterback or a pass rusher that they have a shot at, I think he'll go after them. But I don't think it'll be as wide a net as possible. And I think that's the right idea. I think you know there's plenty of talent uh, in the Pac-12 footprint without having to go elsewhere, unless it's an extremely elite player that you know you can get. USC should never lose you know a Kayvon Thibodeau to Oregon. He was right in their backyard. They should never lose a guy like that, but they did. And there are plenty of stories like that. On Riley exiting Oklahoma and Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame, is there a a right way, a right time for a coach to leave? And do you think either one of those guys blew it in the way they handled it? Well, I don't know that there is a right time, but there is clearly a wrong time, (laughs) you know. Um, When we're at the point where, you know, a few years ago we were – we're complaining about uh, Christian McCaffrey leaving Stanford and not playing in the Sun Bowl, right? Um, and now we're at the point where we have coaches who have teams that are sitting on the cusp of getting into the playoffs, and the coaches, you know, are leaving. Well, that, that's a pretty big deal. And w- what's that say about the game and, and what's important and what isn't important? Um, yeah, the wrong time to leave is when your team is about to get into the playoffs. I, I don't care what kind of deal you have to cut. Yeah. Uh, to stick around, uh, but you cut that deal. And it's, it's a different thing if Notre Dame says, we appreciate that you want to stay, but we don't want you to stay. Well, we want you to move on. But he needs to stick around uh, for that, for all the reasons he says, you know, he recruited those guys, he loved those guys, those guys are counting on him, and getting in the playoffs is a once-in-a-lifetime deal, you know. Um, that's clearly the wrong time to leave. But, you know, uh, $100 million talks loudly. Yes. How about from the future employer standpoint? What if Notre Dame now turns around and they're like, hey, Luke Fickle, you know, we've got a big deal for you. We want you, but you have to leave right now. Sorry, you can't coach in the college football playoff. It's integral to the success of our program. You come right now. I think Luke Fickle would say, if you want me, you got to let me be a part of this playoff with these guys. Yeah. And if you don't want me, I'm not sure that's a place where I want to work. Well, I, 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 I think that's, that's kind of who he is. You know, um, having you know, I haven't been around him a lot, but I've been around him enough to know that he sees himself as a good old-fashioned mid- Midwestern guy with Midwestern values, you know, and loyalty and the like means a lot to him. That, that's my sense with him. Rod, let's bring it to uh, locals. we got some local listeners out here that are uh, a little hyped up, I would think, for some, some big-time college football now that we're into the postseason. The Pac-12 championship coming here. Now, Las Vegas has been the host of some conference championships in the past. The WAC used to come out here. Um, The Mountain West was here last year. Um, The Las Vegas Bowl, of course, is a longstanding 
bowl game. But uh, this Friday, you'll be on the on the calls. Uh, Oregon and Utah. Oregon in the Pac-12 championship for the third straight year. Utah three times in four years. But first, I want to talk about Las Vegas and what a destination this has been. As as the guy on the on, on the mic, what's it been like just the build up for this and and you know what this town has really becoming. Last week we saw college basketball on a huge level. Now we got the Pac-12 championship coming. Well, uh, first of all, I won't be on the call on Friday night there, but oh, okay. I've done this game and I've been in that stadium. And I'll tell you, this is a fantastic venue. Uh, the Raiders Stadium is hard to beat from any perspective, from the fans' perspective, uh, from the media, uh, the sight lines, uh, the access. It, it is unbelievable. And of course, you know, it's Vegas, so there's plenty to do. Uh, it's a great place to be for, you know, several days for a championship game. And I think this is going to be a great game. It's a great rematch. Yeah. Uh, Utah showed what they're capable of doing against Oregon. i got to believe that Oregon uh, is licking its wounds and embarrassed about the way that it played against Utah last time and that they certainly feel like they're going to put on a better performance. I, I just think it's going to be a great game. The last night, the executive committee, the selection committee, the executive director, they all were in a powwow for the Las Vegas Bowl, uh, Pac-12 versus the Big Ten. Um, and, and they have to wait for some things to pan out. Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Iowa, Michigan, excuse me, this weekend playing. Um, you know, and there are some fan bases that will come. To, I, I know that the Las Vegas Bowl is likely depending on a big following from a Big Ten representative, the Pac-12. Um, you know, the one team I'm really curious about your take on is UCLA. We saw the fan base somewhat, I mean, every time we'd see helicopter views or, or you know, sky views from the Rose Bowl, I'm just wondering where the crowd's at. I know that there's a lot of local fans. Dorian Thompson uh, Robinson's mom has been tweeting endlessly, hey, there's a, there's a fan base out here that would love to see Dorian, but... A uh, hundred followers, or a hundred, hundred, or even five hundred Gorman fans are not going to fill a sixty-two thousand seat arena. What's happened to the UCLA fan base? Well, you know, it, it's that's a hard question to answer because there's so many factors. Um, I mean, obviously UCLA has been down for a while, uh, and that's a problem. And you know, Chip Kelly finally has them both eligible, so I think that helps. And Dorian Thompson Robinson is a fantastic player. You know, he's. He's entertainment worth watching. Um, but look, you know, the, the Rose Bowl is a difficult venue to get to. I mean, UCLA does the best it can to make it easy for students by busing them there and the like. Uh, but it's, it's difficult. And you can't overlook the impact of, of COVID-19, you know, the last two years. Uh, California is just different than, let's say, you know, the, the southern part of the United States and the FCC. Um, football is not regarded the same way. And folks in California did not react to, you know, dealing with um, COVID-19 the same way people did in other states. Uh, people were more reluctant to go out and be a part of uh, things in public and not just football games. You know, you know, anything in public was a little bit more of a challenge in California than it was in other places. So um, what's the long term uh, impact of attendance? Uh, I don't know. You know. At some point, we get beyond some of the concerns about COVID-19 and people get back to normal. But UCLA's got to win. You know, There's no question about it. When you are in L.A., you have to win. You can't be a program that is just you know, an also-ran. If you are winning and you're in L.A., there is no better place to be. You get all the attention. You get the crowd. 
But if you're in L.A. and you can't win, and the Dodgers are winning, and the Lakers are winning, and the Clippers <laughs> are coming on, and you got you know football there now, it's it's a problem. You've got to be able to win, and UCLA hasn't been able to. Pac-12 expert Rod Gilmore from ESPN is here with us. Uh, I'm guessing we're getting Arizona State in the Las Vegas Bowl, and then we'll see if we get Wisconsin or Minnesota. And we've already sold, I think, in town like 39,000 tickets, so they, they can only sell 58. So I'm sure the, the Big Ten school will bring plenty of fans, and if Arizona State's in, they'll travel a bunch north. Um, let's close out by actually breaking down this game a little bit in town on Friday night. So Oregon gets boat raced the last time around. What do we see in that game that suggests, hey, that was just a one-off and Oregon really can compete and play a tight game here, maybe win it this time around? Anthony Brown. Anthony Brown, at quarterback for Oregon, has to be the difference in the game. Look, the, the scouting report is, is, is the same every week for Oregon, and, and Utah knows how to implement it. It is, look, we're going to take away the easy throws because, you know, the, the film tells you that Anthony Brown throws a high percentage of passes, 10 yards or less. So you get in the face of receivers, you take away the easy throws, you make him have to throw the deeper ball, you make him hold the ball, and if he doesn't do it and he gets harassed, that's a problem. Oregon is going to struggle. So he's got to be able to make those throws. If he can make those throws, then the running attack, uh, you know, using uh, Travis Dye and his own ability to run come into play, and they can change things. But if he can't make the intermediate throw and the deep throw, uh, Utah's going to have a lot of success defensively. To me, that, that's really the key to the game is how he plays, how he throws the ball. And then on the other side of it, you know, uh, Oregon has the ability to really lock you down defense if they're in the game. You know? um, but if, if they're struggling on offense, they can easily fall behind and become the problem. Rod, we appreciate a couple minutes. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Willie, take it easy, man. And, and be safe. There he is. Rod Gilmore, really good voice of college football. Brilliant dude. And uh, laid it out there for you, Willie. UCLA is in a weird position. Their, their fan base is a little lax right now because they haven't had the success they were hoping for with Chip Kelly. Uh, the other thing in terms of the selection for the Las Vegas Bowl, uh, that night they're going to be playing a basketball game. Yep. And uh, their fans are also going to come out to Vegas for, uh, I think it's that North Carolina game, right? Don't they match up on the 18th against North Carolina? So you're going to have them coming out then. You're going to have them. Uh, in a home game, you got the Holiday Bowl that really wants them. So I think they're a long shot. I think Arizona State is the favorite. Yes, and let's not forget that UCLA is a basketball school more than anything, and it's back, right? It was just number two in the nation. So, you know, if you were to, to I mean, if you were to gauge it between the four finalists from the Pac-12, I would think that they're guaranteeing in their minds anywhere from the lowest of the four uh, schools about 3,000 to 8,000, whereas they're hoping for about 30 to 50,000 from the Big Ten representative. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Night's on the way at the Ducks. Brian Blessings in, hockey expert, also a sports gambling expert from Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 159. What's up, Brian? So, Steve, what's the deal? You got, like, Ari with rabbit ears stapled to his forehead to pull this off? Uh, we try new things, so don't jinx it, my friend. Please. <laughs> don't, say any, don't say anything like, to suggest don't it's touch actually anything. working. Don't touch anything. Yeah, don't touch anything. Let's not pull back the curtain on any of this. Let's just roll the dice. We think it's working. I think Willie's there. We're all good to go. We have a good three-way conversation. Right, Willie? Yes, sir. There you go. Hey. <laughs> all right, Brian. Let's, uh, let's get into this game. First of all, are the Ducks 
they're improved, but are they for real? Because you look up and then the betting odds have VGK, you know, a couple, obviously they're a little bit behind the standings, but VGK is a pretty strong favorite on the road. Yeah, I mean, the hockey numbers, Steve, I swear, it's almost like they're two weeks behind what's actually going on. Really? Uh, so I see a lot of weird, soft, goofy numbers. That's why I've always said hockey's the best sport to bet. Is Anaheim for real? That's a great question. I think they're interesting in that usually Gibson stands on his head the first two and a half months of the season, and then he's just worn out, and he falls off the map. He's played reasonably well, but he hasn't played up the great John Gibson standards. We've seen so many games, and we know Vegas owns these guys, but Gibson keeps them in the games. You know, if he gets on a hot streak, I mean, he plays at a – for a three, four week, really high level. I mean, they become moderately interesting. The one thing for Vegas, the first four years, they have racked up points in the Pacific division, like a slot machine. That's where they always make their hay. The thing that's intriguing about this year, Calgary and Edmonton off to the great start, Vegas, two points behind the ducks, but this is a big four point game tonight. Sharks aren't going away. The Kings are semi-interesting. I don't know about Seattle, how far back they can come, but Seattle's actually playing some pretty good hockey now. The division got tougher. Yeah. Brian, and that's I was, that, that was going to be my follow-up is, you know, going into this season, during training camp, a lot of people were saying, you know, well, Vegas, Colorado, Pacific Division, it is what it is. You know, it's very, very down on it, but this has been a pretty competitive division so far, nobody expected San Jose to be playing well, as well as it is, especially with some off-ice uh, distractions. Anaheim, Golden Knights are in fifth. This has been a division that has to is probably one of the more surprising divisions in the high, in NHL right now. Hey, Willie, if you're going to go down, go down in flames. I thought Vancouver, I really did. I thought Vancouver was like the danger to finish third behind Vegas and Edmonton. I mean, everything they got in the offseason, Demko, Garland, uh, they signed Pedersen. They've been a dumpster fire. And Seattle has been, I don't know what they're thinking. They're a dump and chase team, and for the first 15 games, they're playing this high-octane game, getting sucked into the atmosphere in their building and going up and down the ice with teams. That's no good. Now they're playing the dump and chase game. Willie, they just beat Washington, Florida. I mean, they're beating good hockey teams. So, you know, Seattle's not going to be easy, you know, when Vegas plays them in games that are coming up. Calgary and Edmonton, Calgary's the big surprise. And Edmonton, that's scary that Edmonton beats Vegas and McDavid and Drysidle aren't on the score sheet. I mean, that never happened in the past. Brian Blessing with us, Sports Grade Radio. Sirius XM 159. He's locally on K-Shop. All right, we want some football picks from you. We'll get to uh, the college side in just a couple minutes. First of all, Thursday night football, a lot of injury questions. No McCarthy for Dallas. I listened to you and Mark Lawrence today, and uh, you guys seem hesitant on jumping on the home dog here in the Saints. You're going to take Dallas minus four and a half? Yeesh. I mean, I almost improved Dallas by a point with McCarthy not managing the game. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, but, I mean, the Kamara thing is, is the real question mark. He's not practicing. If there's any way that this guy showed up on the field, the number's scary. Doesn't the number just look wrong? Come on, that was not a fair fight the other night. I don't think Buffalo played great. New Orleans just was awful. They have yeah. nothing. 
And I can't believe this number's only four and a half. And sometimes when you see a number like that, it's telling you something. That's the only thing. I mean, to me, I, Dallas should, you know, have their shoe and step on their neck. Two big favorites. You want to play either one of them. Rams, 13, Jaguars, Bucks, 11, Atlanta. Oh, I'd play the Bucks. I, I don't think I'd go anywhere near the Rams right now. That's a, Something's weird there. You get that all-star game on paper, and it's just not working. And... And if they beat the Jags, I don't think any questions have been answered. But how cataclysmic is what's going on there if they have the Jags hanging around and take them to the wire? I, I don't trust the Rams at the moment. I mean, on paper, they look great. But the results aren't there. All right, Brian. Now, the last two weeks, I've had to cut you off on Cincinnati and college football, put you in your place, and I was right both times. I'm letting you know now the Rams <laughs> might be the best bet on Sunday, laying the points. They are mired in a three-game losing streak. They've been mm-hmm. thumped by the Titans, 49ers, and Packers, all playoff caliber teams. They are going to take their frustration on a team that is going nowhere. Two win Jags. They've lost three in a row. They haven't scored more than 17 points in five straight games. You're going to travel cross-country, face that Rams defense. It's going to be fired up after three losses. And this was supposed to be the NFC favorite, so I agree with you. Like, where's this team right now? It's got to be in a quagmire. But the Jaguars may not even see the end zone. The one time the Jaguars played in the Pacific time zone, they lose 31-7 to in Seattle. And against the NFC West this season, they've allowed 31, 31, and 30 points in losses to Arizona, Seattle, and Frisco. You go bet the Rams, and don't you worry about it. Wow, Willie. I love it. No, I mean, that's conviction right there. 5,000-star lock. That yeah, was awesome. Uh, yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's I'll call you, college. Steve. If, it, if it's 1310 Jags. I know, right? We'll be texting them, on, uh, texting them on Sunday, USOP. <laughs> uh, SEC title game. I mean, everything points to Alabama here. They're never in this position. They're getting six and a half. It may be seven uh, by game time. Uh, but Georgia is damn good. I'll, I'll use your phrase. Uh, is Georgia going to drop the uh, Sasquatch foot on? Well, the funny thing is, Steve, if you, if you sit there and you go down the list of what they've done, and they could be that good, they beat Clemson, who ended up being pretty ordinary, won the game without an offensive touchdown. Yep. They played UAB, South Carolina, Vandy, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, Florida, Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston Southern, and Georgia Tech. They've been no less than a 15-point favorite against Auburn. All these other games, they're 20, 30-point favorites. This is the easiest schedule that any SEC team has ever played. It's unbelievable. And you don't know going in, strength of schedule and all that nonsense at the beginning of the year. Who have they played? I know. They, they really haven't played anybody. They may be that good. But, I, you know, Nick Saban catching six and a half, and I'm waiting because I bet you it gets to seven. Yeah, that's when I hear uh... – power rankings and, and bookmakers talk about Georgia being nine points better than everyone else. I'm not exactly buying it. I think Georgia's really good, but I also think Kirby Smart makes games closer at times than he has to uh, because of his conservative approach. I'm talking about good against good teams. Uh, all right, so what happens here? Uh, again, this is another obvious one, and you almost you almost want to play the other side because it seems too obvious. Iowa getting all these points against Michigan? All right. I mean, we do this all the time. You've been doing betting shows, Steve, for God knows how many years now. Is this not, you know, Michigan finally, 1-15, Harbaugh gets the monkey off his back. They beat Ohio State. 
seasons are defined by that. Now the bonus is the championship. But is this not the biggest letdown spot of the year in college football? And your reward for beating Ohio State is to go play that defense? I know Iowa's offense is nothing, but a turnover here and there in a short field, and all of a sudden that gets pretty interesting, doesn't it? I agree. I agree. Brian Blessing, Sirius XM 159, Sports Grid Radio. All right, let's de- let's uh, dive a little deeper on some of the other games. I thought you and Mark Lawrence had some really good numbers today on Utah State being a live dog against San Diego State, plus five and a half. Yeah, well, hey, listen, the, the Mountain West teams, don't forget these guys when we get to bowl season. They actually, this conference maybe just doesn't get the credit. You know, we're so close to it. You know, the credit it deserves and there are a lot of little subplots, you know, going up into weather games and altitude and all these things. But but don't don't sleep on the Mountain West when we get to bowl season. And I watch San Diego State's offense. It just I don't know, man. There's just no rhythm to that offense. And they got they got the one wide receiver and then the quarterback makes throws and he's got this glossy look when he looks to the sidelines and yeah, I mean, I'm definitely taking the dog. Yeah. Uh, Aztecs run it or else, you know what I mean? If they, if they have to throw um, all of their quarterbacks, it's a, it's a shaky proposition. Last one. Man, I feel like Okie State is going to stumble mm. in this ultimate pressure spot. It's a second time around for Baylor. It was a 10-point game the last time. Am I crazy if I want to take Dave Aranda plus 5.5 against Okie State? Well, no. I mean, the, the, the pressure clearly is on Oklahoma State. I mean, there's that. You know what? The, again, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for them. The first game they played was a low-scoring defensive struggle. Mark mentioned this that in that game, even though it was that, you know, kind of pedestrian 24-14 win, the stats. Oklahoma State ate them alive in the stat department. I mean, I did not one of my best plays of the game. I maybe. Maybe you, you know, tease Oklahoma, use them in a teaser, pick them, get them down to, to pick if you're going to get involved in the game and yeah. you know, do something in the teaser world. Brian, we appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. All right. And Ari's standing on his left toe with his right arm up and a fork <laughs> in a receptacle. It's working. Yep. The extra piece of tinfoil came through. <laughs> Have well, a good go. day, guys. Thanks. There he is. Brian Blessing. Listen to him on Sports Grid Radio uh, middays. Uh, I'm always listening at 11. Uh, past past noon, because then he also does a bunch of hockey content as well. He's got a bunch of hockey podcasts that are very cool. And Ryan Blessing, one of the best in town, been around forever. 364-1100, caller 6 and 7, 364-1100. It's time to give away two more of those VIP passes to the best after party in town. It's the closest after party in town as well. Crazy Horse 3, Gentlemen's Club, right after the game on Sunday. I'll be out there with Fox Sports Radio. Uh, football team's in town. Once the Raiders take care of WFT, you come over and party and uh, the football team fans can drown their sorrows. The ladies are there. you got great drink specials, happy hour drink specials, and an awesome kitchen. We've got two VIP setups. You get you and some friends in for absolutely free. You also get a bucket. You're hooked up with a table. Ari will set it all up. Call her 6 and 7, 364 1100. And if you don't uh, get one of these VIP passes, come over, free entrance with a ticket from the game. It's Crazy Horse 3 Gentlemen's Club right there on Russell, right across from the Al. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. It's Cofield and Company, live on the road.
Jim Dallas before UNLV takes on SMU at Moody Coliseum. Uh, John and Curtis are coming up here in a little under 30 minutes to get you ready for the game, which is a 5 o'clock local start in Las Vegas. Willie, yes, back in our Finley Toyota studios along with Ari. Let's close out this show today, a little UNLV talk. Before we get to all the basketball, let's talk some UNLV football and also a national college football scene with Caleb Herring, the former UNLV quarterback. Caleb, what's up, buddy? What is up? How you guys doing, man? We're good. We're good. Uh, I'm excited to see that UNLV football, Marcus Arroyo and staff, starting to put together their recruiting class. And uh, I think as of a couple of days ago, they had uh, seven or eight verbals. And today I thought was a big one is uh, we finally find out that Isaiah Johnson, a defensive end, who actually got a lot of playing time a couple of years ago, at Fresno State has had some health issues, but he's got two years left. He's a legit-sized defensive end, a high-level recruit when he came out of uh, Modesto. So you can kind of see what they're going to put together here. I think it's going to be a mix of you know young guys to build the program around, but more of those transfer portal dudes, and this is a key position. Yeah, it's a key position. I think for the scheme of things, what they want to do, getting a potential pass rusher, some size on the defensive front, the front seven. Obviously, the other announcement with transfer portals in mind, I, I, I'm sure you guys have probably mentioned it, that Kobe women tran- entering the transfer portal type of deal. Um, that's kind of the, the pot, pros and cons, right? You can do things to help your roster, and things can happen that hurt your roster. Um, but um, one thing that I could say in the Royal tenure so far is that recruiting has – he's earned my trust in that realm. I think there's been things that he's been able to pull off, um, some talent that he's been able to uh, – accrue i guess or to attain and then some more importantly developmental things that he's done with the talent that's gotten there and i again point to kobe women and wasn't recruited by arroyo but arroyo was had the you know i guess the foresight to move jacoby into his position now where i guess he 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 shined at the inside linebacker spot um but yeah the recruiting process is something that um it's it's a science it's a mathematical uh equation i guess that coaches have to figure out and not just going after the most talented guys, which UNLV probably won't in in the near future have access to, you know, a plethora of five-star recruits, let's say, to build their roster on strictly talent alone. But I think uh, Coach Arroyo probably has a pretty solid vision of what he needs and what he wants his team to have as far as roster additions. And I, I trust his recruiting process because I think if one thing we can say is true, he's he's been pretty good at recruiting wherever he's been, and it's been – much of the same here at UNLV so far. Well, they got good news yesterday. I mean, in, in the end, if uh, or before the season, if you had predicted that their number three quarterback would turn out to be the freshman of the year, guy Cameron Friel hadn't played a senior year of high school. That's an amazing accomplishment. But now let's kind of be ridiculous, and I, but I also think it's realistic. Uh, you know, Doug Brumfield could be back as well. Brumfield could win the job over the freshman of the year. And uh, Arroyo still left the door open on Monday when we talked to him that, hey, if there's a a slam dunk can't turn a down choice from the portal to potentially compete for the number one quarterback slot, they may look at it. Yeah, and I think that's the realistic approach, right? I think what Cameron Frill did, although he was a freshman of the year, uh, freshman of the year in the conference, and that's the second consecutive freshman of the year, by the way, for UNLV, which bodes well for the future if everybody stays around. Um, Although he won it, it, I don't think Cameron Frill's performance is indicative of what you would say is the lead horse or the best available option. And Obviously, Doug Brumfield really didn't have much of a sample size to say that he is either. So I think the quarterback question is still unanswered. While we're hopeful for the future with guys like Cameron Friel and Doug Brumfield, you don't really know for sure that you have that position sewed up. So uh, competition is likely. And, I, you know, this offseason is going to be, again, all about the quarterback position. If they figure out who the quarterback is to start the season, 
who knows and because of that reality i think it's absolutely realistic for a coach and you know for i hate to use this term this way college but the business of football the production or business that it is if there's an available home run shot or at least somebody who significantly could significantly significantly could contribute to that competition and making that room more stout against say injuries because we've seen how big an issue that was this season at that position um why not explore that possibility um so i i, I agree i think he should be open-minded to that possibility um Although I will say, and for Cameron Friel and Doug Brumfield, I saw what I would say is the potential to be the guy from both of those guys throughout the season. Um, we'll see, though, how it pans out. I, I, I'm for sure of one thing. It will be a competition this offseason. I think Cameron Friel closed the gap in the playing time he had between he and Doug Brumfield. But, again, Doug, Brumfield, Doug Brumfield's unavailability during the season left the door open for the possibility of a transfer or, or something of that nature to, to add to that room. Caleb, you talked about the recruiting classes under the first two years of Marcus, and you know you obviously got to go for the home run shots. You got to go for the big positions, but there's a couple of names that came up, and, and I'm not sure if you're going to be familiar with them, but as far as their positions are concerned, and maybe Marcus's attention toward these guys, but Bryce Hampton is a local kid, played with Centennial High School, the same time Savon Scarver um, from Utah State, the special team specialist. Um, he played there. Division two, second in the nation in interceptions, outstanding defensive back. Jaden Mitchell, who played over at Desert Pines and Desert Oasis, uh, went through a couple of knee uh, surgeries, was at Arizona, and um, they both entered the transfer portal. I know both would love to come home. One a DB, one a receiver. Not sure the needs, not sure how important it is to maybe go after those those guys who have been in other programs, excelled other places, or at least were looked at by those programs, you got one on the D2 level on a national, you know, nationally ranked, and one who was at a Power 5 conference. Um, is that something that he should be looking at in, in maybe bringing in and looking at some of the local guys to bring them home or not? Just completely no. Um, I, don't think, I don't think the – to say this delicately, I don't think that the – the market of keep guys home is necessarily as vital when it comes to the Las Vegas community. And I, I say that not to, every stone needs to be turned over. If there's a guy that's quality who needs to be home or needs to, you would like to go get after and go get, absolutely go get him. I don't know if there's any added emphasis to bring guys back home or to make a, an added effort to fit guys in that are talented here in Las Vegas. And that's just, that's not to disrespect the, you know, the, the recruiting process in Las Vegas. It's just to say that I don't think that you should build a strategy on keeping guys home in Las Vegas when you're talking about uh, football necessarily. Um, but I will say that in regard to the position that you mentioned with defensive back and, and wide receiver, I think that if you look at who contributed in those positions for UNLV this season, there's a lot of youth already there. And I think there's a lot of talent that could be developed in years to come as opposed to going out to the transfer portal and getting guys with less eligibility and, and bringing them in and trying to acclimate them to Division One in, in one case or to Mountain West football. Um, I think guys like Noel Williams, Cam Oliver, have the potential to grow into something. And I think maybe you, you have less emphasis on bolstering those positions. Like you look at offense all, uh, as well. You, you got guys like Williams and and, uh, and Zio Griffith who are, who are young and upcoming, but your roster's already kind of um, – built with some younger guys in those positions that will grow into better players than they are now. I mean, you were able to compete with them. So uh, experience, I think, in those positions maybe trumps the need to try to get, you know, transfer portals in those positions. Just speaking that way, I think the transfer portal for UNLV 
the interior of both sides of the ball would be where I would focus the transfer portal. Like I would want to get some experienced beef up front, some experienced guys in the trenches to help um, with things like protection, getting a pass rush or stopping the run um, at this point with UNLV. And I would then develop the back end or the skill positions. Um, and we also got to think about, too, the running back position. Maybe that's something that needs to be filled with the absence now of Charles Williams, who is basically everything for the offense at points during the season. That may be more of a focus than, I think, DB with guys like Noel Williams and, and Cam Oliver or even wide receiver out on the edges. Caleb Herring's with us. Southern California guy, played quarterback at UNLV, is on the call as the analyst for UNLV football on radio. Does Lincoln Riley at USC change everything in terms of Southern California recruiting? I do. I think it it matters in Southern California a lot more who the uh, the flashy name is. And this has been kind of maybe a knock on the West Coast um, as far as football acumen, I guess, or care factor with football. Uh, I think you go across the conferences and the SEC, those storied historic uh, football towns, I guess, if you say it that way, the recruiting in those areas tends to be more uh, based on like uh, historic relevance and um, what your name means or your football legacy, as opposed to, I think, a guy like Leakin Riley, who's been in the front of innovative offensive systems and the flashy playmaking and the Heisman winning quarterbacks and things of that nature that make him a popular name. Um, and I think that carries more weight at USC than the traditionalists would say. So I think for Lincoln Riley, it's actually a, a good move for him. He, I think he strikes while the iron's hot. And I think I've, I made a joke about it on Twitter. The, the idea that that name or that kind of branding would sustain him in the SEC was a questionable thing. And I, with, with Oklahoma making that jump, I don't know that his style and the flash that he uh, that he brings stands up to the recruiting of, let's say, Nick Saban and the history uh, success that that he has built in the SEC. So I think it, it definitely suits the the Southern California, I guess, demographic, if you will, where the flashiness and the the I guess uh, the fame of Lincoln Riley at this point in his career as a coach and what he's done with with guys like Jalen Hurts and obviously Kyler Murray and the Heisman and getting in the Final Four and having a, a very innovative, I guess, presence in college football, I think helps him in the recruiting trail when, when it comes to the Pac-12 and maybe revitalizing USC. So I actually like the move overall for Lincoln Riley, where he landed in the situation. How would 22-year-old Caleb Herring feel about uh, Brian Kelly if you were playing for Notre Dame and you had an outside chance of being in the CFP and he leaves? I'd be sick. I'd be, I'd be absolutely sick. I mean – you, you preach loyalty to people, and you say that loyalty is one of the, the traits that people admire in, in, in any sphere, in any atmosphere. Um, and then you get abandoned by your leader, who's, uh, to his credit, got you to a point where you're in a position to succeed. And then at your, the most critical juncture where you're, you know, your fate is kind of hanging in the balance without the, the championship game to your name and um, things like that. And with it being openly said that not having a head coach will impact the committee's decision to put you in the Final Four if it comes to it, um, I think you feel betrayed, and there's no way around it. I mean, it, it could it could really damage your whole faith in the system of loyalty and really what maybe, you know, for some seniors in there who had maybe an opportunity to go to the NFL and, and, and participate in draft, I'm sure there was some convincing on the part of Brian Kelly to keep those guys in the fold and, you know, stay with another opportunity to compete for a national championship. I, I'm sure a lot of them made decisions based on um, his, I guess, perception of loyalty from them. So to be betrayed in this moment and, and when it right down to the wire, I'm, I'm sure there's some, some 
some disheartened individuals in that locker room, and I, I wouldn't blame them one bit. So one last thing on the, the coaching front. I was, uh, I'm intrigued and I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with Marcus Freeman, who's a 35-year-old D.C. on the Notre Dame staff. Man, it would be really cool if they boosted him up and he was the Notor Dame coach because not only is he a good defensive coordinator, but he's also a, a bang-up recruiter. And it would be a, an opportunity for an African-American to jump right to the highest level. You know, there's been 14 hires so far around college football, and for the most part, they're all old whites. What is happening in terms of diversity and opportunities? Because I hear the excuses every year, well, this circumstance and that circumstance, but, I mean, 14 and 0 is it's pretty telling. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's evidence, I guess, of the good old boy system. And it may not be necessarily uh, evidence of racism, and I, so I don't want to go down that road. It may not be that. It may be. It may very well be that people don't feel still in society or in positions of power, at least, that um, black individuals uh, are capable of leadership. Um, and I, I, I mean, I say that um, with seriousness and understanding the, the gravity of what that may implicate. But yeah. I, I think it is a, a evidence of the good old boy system. There's a lot of familiar names that get shuffled around every offseason or every time there's a coaching carousel. It's not necessarily new names getting opportunities at positions that open up. It's old guys once you know one position opens up due to a decision or a personal reason or retirement whatever the case may be then the deck the deck just reshuffles and you get deal, dealt out the same hand um so I, I think it's some of that and i think i would appreciate um more people of color african-american especially in the sport the way it's represented as a, from a player perspective i would appreciate to have more african-americans in positions of leadership especially when you're talking about the development of young men into grown men uh, during these college years I would appreciate that representation. I, I'm not one that would force it, and I'm, I'm, it's a very fine line to walk between um, not having people who are qualified, like Freeman, like you mentioned, who was a qualified candidate for the head coaching job, um, whereas you may implicate forcing people that aren't unqualified, that should not be head coaches just for the sake of having diversity. So I'm not, I'm not in that camp, but I do wish that every year it wasn't the same story, that it wasn't a bunch of familiar predominantly white men shuffling around in predominantly black-led sports. So, I mean, it, it, it is what it is at this point. It's, it's a machine that you really can't fight because it's, a, it's, it's tough to really insert any kind of, uh, I guess, rules or regulations on who gets hired where without implying bias one way or the other. Okay, so real quick, Caleb, how much does that also have to start at the top, even further up in where we need uh, – men or women of color in higher positions above that to bring in and, and make sure that that's a consideration? I, I, I don't necessarily think that it's about people of color and being in those positions. I think it's about honest, fair people who are unbiased to either personal relationships with people or, or past loyalties with others or looking to give their friends a, a, an, an advantage. I don't want it to flip and all of a sudden there's you know black people or black presidents of universities who only want to hire black coaches or, or black athletic directors or anything of that nature i don't i don't want it to be the opposite i just want it to be a, an honest and objective system where the best possible candidate gets the job every single time and i just don't think there's the way that it's set up the way that it's structured i think there's limited opportunity and spaces for those people in power to take a risk, which is essentially what they look at it as, to take a risk and hire a minority candidate or an, un an unknown name, an a non-trusted name 
in the face of donor money or booster money that's funding that campaign, I don't think that it's necessarily uh, a risk that a lot of people, whether they're black or, or not or, or white, is, is, is a risk that a lot of people in those positions are willing to take with that kind of money coming from, you know, private donations, et cetera, what have you, what have you. But I, I so I don't necessarily think that it's just getting black people in positions of power that will fix it. I think it's uh, having people that are in positions of power really have an objective mindset when it comes to making these hires and really going after the best possible candidates and, and casting a wide net to figure out who those people are instead of turning to the traditional names of, of Urban Meyer or, and things like that when major jobs open up at the college level. Caleb, we appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. All right, guys, have a good one. Take care. There he is, Caleb Herring. Uh, yeah, you know, interesting choices like UMass and UConn, Jim Mora Jr. and, and Don Brown, you know, both guys who won over 60, won right around 60. So, And, and both schools have a history of actually uh, having African-American coaches on the, on the men's basketball side. So not alleging anything there, but when it's 14 and there's no diversity, it's uh, – it's quite telling. It's quite telling. All right, basketball game coming up. So, uh, Curtis and John, we'll get you ready for the game. I'll be on the sidelines. SMU is 5-3, and three, Willie. Yep. Uh, they're actually laying a healthy chunk here, uh, laying six. Yep. I'm taking UNLV in the points. You I know, are. I know it's their first true road game, but I think they're going to be competitive. I think they played enough, the, the, a good enough competition. I think they played decent competition. I ran some numbers through through my little spreadsheet program. I got the final with just basic straight up landing 69.9 to 69 SMU. So if you even give the three-point shot to the home team in UNLV's first two road game, you're looking at around 72, 73 to 69. Look for a close game. I'll take the points with the Rebels, running Rebels, and who knows what happens from there. Maybe they pull off the last second shot. Smack Curtis in his head for me, by the way. And I'll, uh, I'll do you one better. Uh, all the betting has been on SMU, so it's actually eight, eight and a half now. Even better, because I'll go that? contrarian. Uh, you'll hear this during the preview of the game, the pregame for the game, and during the game. Um, these teams are mirror images in this. They are trying to get to the next level with lots of transfers. So SMU is a team that's coming together. SMU, when they've had a step up against good competition, has not really delivered. Most of their wins are against Ken Palm teams, 210 on down, so... There's a little pressure on the SMU side, and one thing to watch for, Kendrick Davis, man, he played his first game for SMU a couple years ago against UNLV. They have got to keep this guy out of the paint. He was a monster that night, and he's having a great season this year because he has another chance to come back next year as a super senior. So we are out of here. Running Rebel warm-up is on the way. John and Curtis, thanks to Caleb Herring and all of our other guests, Rod Gilmore, Willie, great job, Ari. Awesome. Stick around. Running Rebel basketball is right here on ESPN Las Vegas.